Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to John chapter 16. John chapter number 16. And uh, while you're turning there, I do want to welcome uh, especially the uh, Brother Ellison and uh, Gary Ellison and his wife and Brother Rick Hurd uh, that are here visiting with us this morning. It's always a blessing to have them. It's not their first time with us, but it's always a blessing to have them with us anytime that they're here on a Sunday morning. And uh, so thankful for you guys to be here uh, with us. John chapter number 16. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read uh, verse number 7 all the way down to verse number 13. And we're going to continue our series on By His Spirit. And uh, we, we talked about last week the work that the Holy Spirit does in the, in the life of a sinner. And I just want to read over those verses that we studied last week. And then uh, this morning we're going to continue uh, with that thought of what the Holy Spirit does now in the life of a saint. And uh, we said that there's uh, a lot of work that the Holy Spirit does in the life of people. And we were studying just that last week, just on the aspect of what He does for us before we're saved. But what does the Holy Spirit do after we are saved? And that's what we're going to be studying this morning a little bit about. So John chapter 16, verse number 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believed not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judge. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he... The Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. I'm going to focus on that very first sentence and the very first phrase there of verse number 13. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come? What happens when the Holy Spirit comes into our life? What is the work that he does? We want to talk about this this morning, but before we get into that, why don't we ask God to bless this time as we study His Word. Let's pray. Father, as we come to You this morning, as we open Your Word and as we begin to study what it is that You so many years ago shared with those disciples that were there with You that last night before You were to lay Your life down for us. As we study those words that have transformed us and changed us, I pray that we would be ready this morning to be able to understand your word and receive your word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would prepare the soil of our heart, that we would be ready not only to be hearers of your word, but doers also. I pray that your spirit would fill me this morning, that I might be able to preach your word with freedom, that I might be able to share clearly and communicate clearly the truth that you've laid upon my heart. And Father, that uh, I could be able to uh, be used by your Spirit here this morning uh, to be a blessing and a an help and an encouragement to your people. Father, I pray now that you would just bless this time in a special way. And I ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian is an indispensable work. Without him, a Christian would not be able to experience the power of God nor the presence of God in his life. The Holy Spirit begins his work in the life of a person, first of all, by convicting them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment as he begins to draw that person to Christ. We learned about that last week, how it is and why it is that the Holy Spirit must do this. And we know that it is by the work of the Holy Spirit that we come to understand the truth, the truth that uh, Jesus died for us and why he had to die for us. And so we learned that the first work that the Holy Spirit does is convict us of our sin, of our need to be made righteous, and of the coming judgment upon those that reject the Lord Jesus Christ. But what happens after we make a decision to accept Christ as our Savior? What happens when we respond to the convicting of the Holy Spirit in our life to actually accept Jesus into our life? What happens after that? Rochelle and I, this, uh, this summer, we were able, about a month ago, to go and visit Disneyland uh, for like the fifth or sixth time. I don't know. It's been many times. They're in Los Angeles, California. And if you've ever been there, you'll, you'll know that right in the middle of the park, there is a huge castle. It is the castle for the, uh, the cartoon Sleeping Beauty. And what's amazing about that castle, you can go to the castle, you visit it, it has rooms in it that you can uh, visit, and it tells a little bit about the history of Disney and those rooms, and I believe there's a shop and stuff there. But when it begins to get really dark there at the park, and the park is usually open until midnight, so when, it, when, when the sun goes down and it gets dark, one of the things that they do is they light up that castle. They have all these floodlights so that no matter where you're at in the park, if you have a pretty decent view to, to where the castle, you can see it rather clearly. And there's a picture here of what that looks like. There's, a, there's a, a quite a big castle just shining brightly there in the night. Now, the thing that strikes me is that no matter where you're at, even if you're there alive, when you're looking at the castle, you never can see where the floodlights are. Maybe you've seen this in houses here as you go into some neighborhoods, but the floodlight is always hidden. You don't really put a floodlight where everybody can see it. The, the purpose of the floodlight is just to light up the place so it looks like it's glowing in the dark. And people that really work with floodlights and know how to place them correctly, they know that they're to place them hidden, but place them with a the purpose to light up whatever they're, they're trying to light up, whatever house or building. Well, when a person responds to the Holy Spirit in their life, the Holy Spirit 
acts as a floodlight in their life. He begins to shine in them so that others can see not the Holy Spirit himself, but can see Jesus Christ being formed in you. Part of what the Holy Spirit does in a person after we uh, respond and ask Christ to be our Savior, uh, we find that the Holy Spirit begins to shine in us and to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. He acts just like that floodlight does on the castle there in Disneyland. Now this morning as we study this passage, I, I want to bring back to your attention how it says there, how be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come... He will guide you into all truth. He says, when that Holy Spirit is come. There's a twofold work that the Holy Spirit does in the person that accepts Jesus Christ as his Savior. The first thing Jesus said that would happen to his disciples is that first he's going to come. Now this speaks, first of all, of the incoming of the Spirit. If you're taking notes here, the first is the incoming of the Spirit. You see, once a person has responded to the work of the Holy Spirit... Uh, as to the conviction of their sin, uh, by repenting uh, of their sin, asking Jesus to be their Savior, to forgive them. In that very moment, something incredible happens. They receive the Holy Spirit. At that moment, as Jesus told his disciples that Holy Spirit is going to come, this happens uh, in the life of a person today, the moment that he repents of his sin and asks Jesus to be his Savior. He becomes immediately filled or indwelled uh, with the Holy Spirit. So uh, as the Holy Spirit comes into a life, he, he, he has the incoming, you could say, of the Spirit. Now, uh, to define this, I, I want to start by saying what the incoming of the Spirit is not. So there in your notes, I want you to notice, first of all, it is not a second work or a second blessing. The reason I state this is there are some that would teach that once you get saved, once you ask Jesus to be your Savior, then there's still some, uh, some things that you have to do to receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe do a prayer or uh, maybe uh, do another work and, and, uh, and have your uh, hands laid on you and, and, and receive the Holy Spirit as a second work. But you know, the, whole, the, the Bible does not teach that at all. The Bible does not teach that uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit is a result of a second work or a second blessing. And there are those that would uh, use the Bible and, and sometimes get some verses a little bit out of context to try to teach uh, this teaching about the Holy Spirit. But uh, that teaching is a false teaching. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. I want you uh, to notice there in Acts chapter 8. Uh, if you have your Bibles there, Acts chapter 8, or there in your notes, you can look on. But in Acts chapter 8, you'll notice there is a passage there as uh, Luke is, is explaining a little bit about the history of the church. And let me just say, as, as we get into this, that Acts is a book of transition. All right. This is a, a book that Luke was writing to sort of show how it was that after Christ ascended back into heaven and the Holy Spirit came, how was it that the church began to grow? And, and it gives a little bit of, of that transitional period. And so uh, as you study the book of Acts, you've got to keep that in mind. There are some things that happen in the book of Acts that uh, don't always happen today. Some things that happen in the book of Acts will not happen again in our day and age, just because now there's been a transition. Now we have uh, the Word of God, which they did not have the total Word of God at that time. And so uh, you have this 
going on. Luke is writing this history, and I want you to notice in Acts chapter 8, in verse 14 through verse number 16, and I point these verses out because sometimes people use these verses to say, see, this is why you have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit now to be in your life, even after you're saved. And once again, I want to reemphasize this. The Holy Spirit comes into a person's life the moment he gets saved. Not after, not in a second, uh, on a second prayer or a work that you have to do, not after baptism. It is in the moment that you accept Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to, uh, to you, to your heart, and into your life. Now, Acts chapter 8, verse 14 says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I want to explain this really quick, because at first, when you read through it right quickly, it sounds like they had to pray for the Holy Spirit to come into their life once again. And as I said, because this was a transitional time, I want to remind you of some historical things that were happening there between the Jews and Samaria. Uh, the Jews that lived there in Jerusalem did not like the, uh, the people of Samaria. If you recall, uh, the people of Samaria were only half Jewish. They were half Gentile and half Jewish. And, and there was a disagreement uh, between them of where you worship God and how you worship God. Uh, if you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus spoke to a woman there at a well and, and she was saying, well, uh, you people, you Jewish people that live in Jerusalem, y'all believe that you're to worship in Jerusalem, but we, we believe that you worship here in the north in a, uh, on a mountain called Mount Gerizim. And, and, uh, and so there's a difference of where they worshiped and, and how they worshiped. And Jesus said, well, there's going to come a day when those that worship me or those that worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, that happened the moment the Holy Spirit came into this world. With the incoming of the Holy Spirit, you'll find that uh, what Jesus said to that woman on the well was coming to pass. It was the fact that uh, there was going to be a time where uh, there was no difference between a Samaritan and there was no difference between the Jew, but we were all uh, going to be one body in Christ. So when the Samaritans heard about the message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus had died for their sins, they believed on him, but here's the problem. Now there's people in Samaria. These people don't talk to the people in Jerusalem. And the people of Jerusalem are looking at them and saying, are they really saved? Can they really believe? Can they receive the Holy Spirit or not? And so uh, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John go up there to see what was going on, to see if they really understood the message of, the, of salvation, if they understood the gospel and what it means that Jesus died for your sins and that uh, if you repent of your sins and uh, ask him to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior, that he becomes your Lord and Savior. So they go there, they do that, and as they see that the Samaritans truly have believed, then the Bible says they laid their hands on them. Now, whenever you read that, even in the book of Acts, the laying on of hands always had the idea, idea of identity. It was a way of saying, I agree with what they're saying. I agree of the direction that they're going. I agree that what they're saying is right. So now Peter and John, who were from Jerusalem, who really didn't have a lot of dealings with the people in Samaria, now they're laying their hands on it. They're identifying and saying, you know what? These Christians here in Samaria, they are Christians. In fact, they believe the same exact gospel that I believe. And by doing that, by withholding the Holy Spirit, you know what God was doing? 
He was, being, uh, he was bringing unity to this new church. Can you imagine if the Holy Spirit would have gone right away, right to those that were in Samaria, there would have been two different factions of the church. It would have divided the church immediately. Those in Samaria would have said, well, we don't need to go to Jerusalem. We don't need to worship. That's what you guys do. But here in Samaria, we do it differently. And suddenly there would have been a disunity in it. But by withholding his spirit, God knew that then he would send his disciples. There would be unity and an identity of being together, of now we can worship God in spirit and in truth. So there in that passage, it's not saying that the Holy Spirit, in, in order to receive him, you have to ask God to, uh, to um, send the Holy Spirit again or to have someone lay hands on you. No, that was one incident that happened in that transitional time to bring unity. So there, uh, the, the reason of why it happened, the reason that Luke was recording this uh, occasion or this event, was so that people could understand there is a, a unity happening. And it was the purpose of unity in the church. Because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, they were not sure if they were really believers. The prayer of the Holy Spirit was to bring unity and identity to this new church. So we see the incoming of the Spirit. It's not a second work. It's not a second blessing. Although some might use this verse to teach that, but that's not what it's talking about. It was talking about bringing a unity and a purpose to the church. I want to show you another passage that sometimes people use, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse number 5 and verse number 6. It says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. The, the, the occasion in which Luke is actually talking about here in Acts chapter 19 is another occasion where Paul goes to the city of Ephesus and he finds those that uh, were baptized in uh, after the baptism of John the Baptist. Now, uh, just to give you a little bit of understanding what the baptism of John the Baptist was, uh, if you remember, John the Baptist came before the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message of John the Baptist was that we need to repent, 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 repent. So the message of John the Baptist uh, was to repent or turn away from our sins. And uh, they had a very limited, those that were disciples of John the Baptist, had a little bit limited knowledge uh, of uh, the gospel. They, they knew that they were wrong and they knew that they needed to repent of their sin. And it wasn't until John the Baptist laid his eyes on Jesus that he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And after that, it says that some of his disciples went and followed Jesus. One of them was the Apostle John. Uh, he went and began to follow Jesus and found in Jesus life everlasting. So there were other disciples, though, that not all of them that were disciples of John the Baptist went and followed Jesus that day. And they had this knowledge as they were propagating that message, as they were telling others of that message, it was a, a message of repentance. So when Paul gets there and he begins to talk to them, he asks them, have y'all received the Holy Spirit? And they said, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? What, what is this Holy Spirit? And at that moment, Paul knew, oh, they're not saved. Now they're good and they're on this track of understanding. They need to repent. But they also didn't uh, realize the, the message of righteousness. And Paul was there to give them that message. And so the purpose of Paul now giving them that message was so that they can accept Jesus as their Savior. In that moment, as he shared that message with them, they uh, now received the Holy Spirit. So uh, in that passage, once again, not talking about a second work or a second blessing. 
He simply did it because they had not been saved yet. That's why they had not received the Holy Spirit. Uh, Though they had repented of the life they were living and they were trying to change and do what pleases God, yet they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, you see. So the disciples there were not Christians, but following what they understood thus far, and once they understood uh, the gospel message that Paul was giving them, then the Holy Spirit came upon them. I want to give you one more passage in Ephesians chapter 1 that sometimes is used for this of the Holy Spirit is a second work and you have to lay your hands on Him. Because there are churches this morning that would teach that the Holy Spirit uh, has not come upon those that just have accepted Christ as their Savior. They have to uh, speak in tongues or they have to prophesy or they have to do some kind of sign to receive the Holy Spirit. But the Bible does not teach that. Now look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You'll notice there that it says, in whom also after that ye believed. And some people would teach, you see, you have to believe. And then after that, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Like there's an intervention of time. But when you read in the original language there in the Greek, you'll find that, um, that what is explained there or what is written there is actually something that happens at the same moment. In the very same moment, the words believed and sealed are the both in the same tenses. All right? they're, they're denoting a truth that happens simultaneously, not successively. So in other words, it's not I believe and then a little bit of time and then the Holy Spirit comes to me. No. You could say it this way. You could say, having believed, ye were sealed. So in that very moment, I believed, then the Holy Spirit sealed me. So the incoming of the Spirit in your life happens the moment that you accept Christ as your Savior. It's not a second blessing. It's not a second work, my friend. That is a work that happens immediately. Immediately. In fact, uh, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes, if we don't have the Spirit of God in us, we are none of His. We must have the Holy Spirit in us if we're going to be part of His family. So we find that the incoming of the Spirit isn't a second work. It isn't a second blessing. Then you say, what is the incoming of the Spirit? It is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Suddenly, as before, when you did not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you did not have the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit's work in you before you were saved was the fact that if you were to treat somebody wrong, if you were to say something you shouldn't say or a word you wouldn't say, if you were to steal from somebody, suddenly you felt bad. The Holy Spirit began to convict you and say, hey, that's not right. What you're doing, you know, is hurting people. What you're doing is offending God. There's something not right. And that's why uh, the Bible says that uh, a, a person that is not saved, he can't find peace. No matter how much money he makes, no matter how much success he finds in the world, he cannot find peace. You see, peace comes only as a result of knowing Christ. That's why Jesus said, my peace, I have my peace, I give unto you. It's a peace that only is found in him. So the incoming of God's Spirit is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, let me just say, that we enjoy a life that would be impossible otherwise. You see, The presence of the Holy Spirit brings power and enables us to do what we could never do on our own. 
It's amazing. By, by his presence, uh, when his presence is in, it, in our life, when the presence of God was in the life of different men, they did some incredible things. Some of them spoke in languages that they had never really studied or learned. Uh, some of them healed people that they could never heal otherwise. Other people prophesied of events that they never would have known other than God telling them. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to, to notice this in your notes. In Acts chapter 2, for instance, on the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit's incoming came on the apostles. On that day, you'll, you'll, you'll see that it says there uh, that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this noise was abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So imagine this, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, they begin to preach the word of God, and there's all these people in the, in the, in the city of Jerusalem that come from all parts of the world that speak all these different languages, and they said, I'm hearing him preach, and I hear him in my language. That would be like if somebody were here that only spoke Chinese and could understand what I'm saying. You say, how, how is it that I can understand what he's saying? He's not even speaking Chinese. How, do I, I, how can I do that? Well, the presence of the Holy Spirit allowed them to speak a language that they had never studied before. And people heard for the very first time the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know this is not in your notes, I don't think, but in Acts chapter 3, we see that Peter and John, upon going to the temple... They, they come across a, a man that was lame since he was a young man. He, he, he couldn't walk. He was a cripple. And he was asking for money. And Peter says, listen, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the Holy Spirit there enables Peter uh, to heal this man who had never walked before. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit allows you and me to do something we can never do on our own. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying today that if you go and you meet somebody on the street today that's in a wheelchair and you just say, get up and walk, that they're going to get up and walk. That's not what I'm saying. But you know, the Holy Spirit's presence can help you to do things that you are not able to do on your own. You say, for instance, like what? You know, the Holy Spirit can help you forgive somebody that's hurt you deeply. You know, the Holy Spirit can help you love your wife as you should or love your husband. The Holy Spirit can help you make a right choice, though it might be a difficult choice, but the Holy Spirit can help you stand when everyone else is bowing. The Holy Spirit can help you stand at your job and, and give a good testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ when everyone else has compromised. You see, the Holy Spirit allows you to do things that you cannot do on your own. You know, the Holy Spirit helps you to share the gospel with somebody. It's amazing how many people I've, I've run into here at our church that they say, uh, man, uh, Pastor Jeremy, I, I, I can't tell you but, uh, how it happened, but I was at work and I started talking with a co-worker and, and I was just praying, God, help me, to get, give me the words to share with them. And the God gave me the words to share with them. And sometimes that coworker understands the truth and gets saved and begins to come to, to church and start growing spiritually, all because someone had the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life and he enabled them to share something they could never share. To do a work that they could never do on their own. You see, without the presence of the Holy Spirit, we would be powerless to do any of the work 
that God has called us to do. In fact, John 15, 5, I think this is in your notes, Jesus said, but without me, you can do nothing. You see, without the Spirit of God, without His presence, we can do nothing. Can I say this? You might be a Sunday school teacher here this morning. And you might think, well, if I just put enough hours studying my lesson, that's all I need to do. And don't get me wrong, I think you ought to. I think we ought to spend time studying the lesson that we have to share with the the kids in our class. But you know, if you don't ask the Holy Spirit to help you, it doesn't really matter how many times you study and how much you've memorized of that uh, lesson, it'll do nothing in the hearts of those kids. Because you're trying to do it in your work and in your power. But you see, you don't even have the power to teach a five-year-old class. Without the Holy Spirit, you have no power to do what only He can do. So it's important for us to understand, we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. If you're going to please God in your life, you need the presence of the Holy Spirit. You don't need more academics, though academics might be good. And you don't really need more money, though money would be good. Uh, What you need more of is the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Now, because this is true, because we see that when Jesus said, when this Spirit of truth is come, the incoming of the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, that presence that's there is going to enable you guys to do more than you ever thought you could do on your own. He said, but you know, it's going to have to be more than just on occasion. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll find, and we don't have time to to study every passage, but you'll find that, for instance, in Psalm 51, when David was repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, he says in his prayer, remove not thy spirit from me. You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people, but it would also leave them. The Bible says that he, the Spirit of God would come on Samson at times. And Samson did some amazing things when the Spirit of God was on him. Uh, he, he, he tore down the, the doors of a city and walked 20 miles with them on his back. I mean, this man was unbelievable in his strength when the presence of the Holy Spirit was in his life. But there came a day when the Spirit of God left him. And then he was powerless. In fact, the Bible says that they plucked out his eyes and he was blind. The Bible says that what he did was like the work of a mule. Can I just give you a quick application about that? We don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We become blind to what the devil is trying to do. Young people begin to make decisions in their dating life that they're blind to what the consequences are going to be. Before long, the devil has his way and you're chained up because the presence of God is nothing in your life. It's so important to understand. Jesus said, listen, when that spirit of truth comes, he's going to come into your life. The incoming of of the spirit is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But Jesus said, I don't want him just to come on you at times. I don't want it to be just like Samson. At times the Spirit of God was on him and at times it wasn't. I don't want it to be like David where uh, at times the Spirit of God was on him and at times it left him. He said, you see, when my work is done, I'm going to send you my Spirit. He's going to come into your life. You're going to have his presence, but you're not only going to have the incoming of the Spirit, you're going to have the indwelling of the Spirit. 
the indwelling. Jesus said, listen, I want you to be able to live this life every day. I want you to do what you cannot do on your own every day. Not just one time, not just once in a, in a lifetime. No, every day. You see, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have the permanent residence for Him. That's what indwelling means. It means He comes to live in us. This permanent indwelling allows us to abide with God as He works in our lives. You see, His ability to begin the work of molding us more and more in the image of Christ is only possible when His Holy Spirit is indwelling in you. That's the only way that, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit can make you and me more like Jesus. He's got to indwell us. It's got to be a daily thing. You've got to have a daily cleansing. You've got to have a daily molding of Christ in your life. And for that to happen, the Holy Spirit has to indwell us. I like what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He was writing to those Christians there at Corinth, and he says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? The, the Christians at Corinth were not uh, Christians that were living a godly, separated life. And Paul reminds them of something. He says, uh, what I'm telling you about what God says and how we should live about a right, godly lifestyle comes because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. He's abiding in you. It's part of what He does. He's working. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul was saying, you know how it is that we're going to be more Christ-like? By God's Spirit in us. We're going to be changed more into the image of Christ by the Spirit of God abiding in us. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm rather thankful that God's Spirit doesn't just come uh, upon me at times. I hope you, you'll stop and think about, hey, listen, it, it doesn't matter if you're here at church on a Sunday morning or if you're at work on Monday morning, the Holy Spirit's still with you. He's abiding in you. That means not only can you do some things that are amazing here at church, you can do them at work. You know what? You can do them at home. You can see God work in your wife and in your husband and your children. You can see amazing things happen because the Holy Spirit is indwelled in you. He's a floodlight that others can see. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is an amazing thing. It's His permanent residence in, here, in you. But it's also what, what helps Him claim you as His possession. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, we learn that the Holy Spirit comes into your life the day that you believed. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that. And then it says, and that it seals you. That act of being sealed by the Holy Spirit is an act of security. You see, in, in the days in which the Old Testament was written, whenever you wrote a letter, you would roll it up, and then you would uh, dip some wax onto the letter, and then you would put a seal. If you were uh, an officer or 
if you were a, a, a person that uh, obviously had well means, if you're a, a governor or a ruler, everyone had their own seal. And they would put their seal on that letter. And that seal could not be broken other than by the person that letter was intended for. Now, the Bible says that our, the, the Holy Spirit becomes our seal. And the only one that can break that seal is the Lord Jesus Christ because we are now His. The Bible says that we are His children. And the, uh, the Holy Spirit seals us. We, uh, we're, we're the ones that, uh, by His power, are, are made secure. So here's what this means, just in a practical matter. The Holy Spirit, first of all, convicts us and brings us to salvation, but the Holy Spirit also keeps us in that salvation. You see, He's your security. That's why you cannot lose the Holy Spirit. That's why uh, the Holy Spirit will not leave you. He indwells you. He abides in you forever, Jesus said. When He will come, He will abide with you forever. You say, well, but what if I mess up? He's still with you. In fact, John said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you mess up, doesn't mean the Spirit of God leaves you. He's still there. Why? Because you're His. You're His property. You're His possession. You can rest secure in Him. 1 John 3, 24, it says, And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. God is not one that gives the gifts and just takes it back. When he gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going to abide with you forever. 1 John 4 says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. So the Spirit of God is the presence that we need to have the power to do what God has called us to do. But it's also the indwelling of God to make us more like Christ every day. Jesus told his disciples, verse 12, he says, what I'm going to tell you, you may not understand right now. But when he comes, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all that truth. I think part of the blessing of living in the year 2018 is knowing the truth that the Holy Spirit can come into our life, be a presence in our life, but also abide in us to mold us more like Christ. Listen, this morning it's vital that we recognize the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. His incoming gives us power and His indwelling transforms us more into Christ. The question this morning isn't, will the Holy Spirit come into my life? The question this morning is, have you given your life to Him? I wonder how many this morning have been convicted of their sin, but can never think of a moment in their life, not even one time, where they asked Jesus to forgive them and to be their Savior. They can't think of a moment in their life where they repented, truly repented of their sin. And because of this, the presence of the Holy Spirit is not in them. Man, it would be an awesome decision this morning for you to make that decision.
If you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, that means you don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Why not make that decision today? That's the greatest decision you can make. It'll lead you to the greatest life you could ever live. See, that's what the presence of the Holy Spirit can do. But how about if you're here this morning and, and you're, you're saying, I've made that decision, Pastor. I've, I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I know I have His presence in me. Then I would ask, how much are you allowing the Holy Spirit to mold you? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit, if I could say it this way, to be a floodlight for Christ in your life? Jesus says, ye are the light of the world. And he says, you know what you do with a light? You don't put it under a bushel to hide it. But I'm afraid that there are many Christians that by ignoring the Holy Spirit, by not allowing him to work in their lives, you know what they're doing? They're hiding the floodlight. And nobody can see Christ in them though they have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. But the indwelling power of the Spirit to conform them more into Christ is not there because they're hiding it. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's important that he says, and let them glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because you know what the work of the Holy Spirit is? To glorify Christ. Simply saying here this morning, when you think about the Holy Spirit, He's that floodlight. Are you allowing Him to shine in you? If not, why not make a decision that this week, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit shine in me? Why not say, I want the, not only the incoming of God's Spirit, but the indwelling as well that he might shine in me and that others might see Christ in me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your Holy Spirit because, Father, truly without your spirit in our life, we can do nothing. Oh, Father, what you have called us to this morning is something more than just a simple task and it's more than just some religious acts. What you've called us to do, Father, is to be molded into the image of Christ. To do a work that we can never do on our own. To have your presence be the power that we need and the enabling that we need to actually do what you've called us to do. Father, I pray that this morning as we examine our hearts, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would examine our hearts today, your word says that we are to ask that you would search us and know our ways and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead us in the way everlasting. Oh, may your Holy Spirit point out areas that this morning perhaps we're covering that light that we ought to be. Perhaps we are not allowing your spirit to work and mold us more into the image of Christ. Oh, I pray that we would remember the truth, the truth of what His presence brings, but also the truth of what Him living in us means. Oh, Father, I pray that you would work in our lives throughout, not only today, throughout this week. 
And Father, help us to live a life that would shine for you. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.